right. Well, we're going to jump right into uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. While you're turning there, if you need a Bible, the folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Isaiah, chapter 6. Just raise your hand. They'll give you a Bible. If you don't own one, you can keep that. Uh, but before we start in, I, there's one more thing I wanted to, a couple things I wanted to add. One is I, I really want this year's uh, National Day of Prayer to be the biggest yet. So clear your schedule, 6 p.m. March thir- uh, May 3rd. May 3rd, 6 p.m., right at City Hall, Civic Arts Lawn. Everybody's coming. That's it. If you don't come, find another church. We're all coming. I'm <laughs> kind of kidding. I'm seriously kidding in a not-so-serious way. Uh, but what I, what I wanted to share with you is I, I want it to be a testimony, a uh, profound testimony, and all the other churches are just as excited, and we've been working hard to put this together. Uh, also, um, the other thing that was on my heart is... Um, uh, I, I, I got two updates uh, this week. Uh, a lot of you know Dr. Scott Berman, a miraculous healing of cancer in his life. And then there's many more stories in, in the fellowship. But one in particular, Aaron, uh, stand up so they can see you, Aaron Robinson. Yeah. Now, Aaron was diagnosed with geoblastoma, right? That, that is fatal. He was, you were supposed to be gone how long ago? About a year ago, he was supposed to be gone. Does he look gone to you? That's a miracle. Um, and then uh, Claudia Potion, stand up. Come on. She had cancer, and she's cancer-free. Not debt-free, but cancer-free. So in both of their cases, they have GoFundMe and different kinds of places you can go on. There'll be, I want you guys to be out in the foyer if anyone's interested in helping with what God was doing, if you feel called to help and, and the expenses that were incurred and as God. God works miracles in a myriad of ways, ways we can't describe through the hands of doctors, the body itself. It's still a miracle. Amen? So, uh, and then, um, where, there you are. Stand up. This is another miracle right here. Liz, come on, stand up. She had a stroke, and look at her. She's doing great. She's with us. Amen. Yeah. And it causes her eyes to water. But it, it's not a... <laughs> there are so many wonderful things to witness in the body of Christ. And, and you know, there is one other miracle that we, we don't tend to embrace all that often. Um, it's not one we really look forward to. It's because we, we see with our eyes instead of... What God wants us to see with a vision of him. Now, there's an eternal healing where you get a brand new body eternal in the heavens. People, uh, the world calls that death. We call it falling asleep and awaking in the presence of the Lord. And it's a pretty cool healing. Waking up, you're like, this is good. So I just want to let you know. Nothing to be afraid of. Amen? Amen. All right. So uh, Isaiah chapter 6, before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, we, we undertook the study of Isaiah starting last week. I was actually supposed to be right now in Washington, D.C. I canceled the trip because... Uh, I didn't want to go. Um, we have a big council meeting on Tuesday, and it conflicted, and I was supposed to be doing council business. but And then <laughs> yesterday, uh, Michelle and I celebrated our 20th, 28th wedding anniversary. And uh, I am a seriously romantic man. Uh, for our wedding anniversary, we moved. <laughs> it was an awful day. Uh, it, it, who loves to move? my point exactly. And uh, we did that on our anniversary. That's, that's how we've held it together for 28 years. Um, but the reason why I share that with you is last night after just a hectic full day and the night before we didn't get a lot of sleep and then we had the full day of moving 
And it was just, here we are, all the stuff is in the house, and we're still painting, so we couldn't put it where it's supposed to go, so it's just piled in the garage and in this room, and we were able to put a bed together, and, and as, as we just kind of sat down at the end of the day, and we just looked at each other, and we just reflected on God's faithful hand, not only in 28 years of marriage, but in 18 years as a pastor of this fellowship, and hey, good to have you, come on in. They, well, they came all the way from Idaho, so that's all right. They're allowed to be late. Bless you guys. So um, 28 years of marriage, we were reflecting back on that 18 years pastoring the church, just seeing God's faithful hand and reflecting on it. And I want to tell you the story before we get into the book of Isaiah, because it ties in. It'll be a long introduction, but bear with me. Uh, first service seemed to enjoy it. If you don't, <laughs> you got issues. Um, but I, the, the thing that happened was this. Um, we, we never had an intention of moving. Uh, we, we had a place over on Kenmore that we absolutely adored the house. Our, it was the only house our son Michael had ever known. We, all of our kids grew up in it. It was on a cul-de-sac. We knew all the neighbors. We were set to have that as our last home forever. And uh, through a series of events, um, we were required to sell it. And, um, and we did. And we were heartbroken over that. We didn't want to sell it, but we did. And we sat down with a realtor, and the realtor said, this is the price for the market. And, and, uh, and we said, okay. And we calculated it with, all right. And Michelle, the next day, or maybe that night, I don't remember exactly, she came and she said, no, 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 this is the price the Lord told me. Now, my wife in 28 years of marriage has told me, God said, yeah, I can count it on one hand. But when she says it, she's serious. She's got a bad phone. And, uh, and, and so I told the realtor and he was like, I don't know, you know, and I, but, but I'm here to serve you. We'll, it'll be sitting on the market for a while. And Michelle said, no, the Lord told me. And she staged the house, and she's got this gift, and we put it on the market, 48 hours sold. It was crazy. And, uh, and this started this whirlwind. Now that the house sold faster than we thought, we thought we had time. Now escrow's closing. We've got to find a place to live. There's no rentals. We've got an enormous dog. It's actually a horse. It calls it a dog. It's like 160-pound Great Dane. There's not a renter on the planet or a, a landlord on the planet that's like, oh, yeah, I want that in my house. And there was only one rental in the entire area that says big dogs. Welcome. I'm like, Whoa. they're obviously not very smart. <laughs> they actually ended up being a lovely family, a Hindu family. And it was this house up in Dos Vientos, way beyond what we could afford. We moved into it, more house than we needed. And, uh, and now the clock's ticking because, you know, we got to find a place to live. And in the course of that, first of all, I want to tell you, I never wanted... And, and for those of you who live there, I'm not insulting you. My heart's changed, and I'll explain. But at, the, at that time, I never, ever wanted to be in Dos Vientos. Uh, I heard the HOA was like the Gestapo, and, and, I, got, and I just want to tell you, our very first day there, we, we, we get to the house, I'm, I'm walking through it, checking it out, getting ready to move in, and this lady walks up with her two children, and she's got another one in the stroller, and the little girl's so sweet, she says, oh, you're, this is the happy house. I go, is it? She goes, yeah, you're moving in. I'm like, you're so sweet. It's so cute. Bless your little heart. She, she says, oh, do you have a little, any little daughters? I said, no, mine are all grown, but we have some. Oh, okay. And she was real sweet. And the, the, the mom was really sweet. And the kids were engaging. And I said, do you guys like honey? Oh, we go through honey, but we only use organic. I go, great. And I open up my trunk. And, you know, we, uh, uh, Vadim has given us a beehive. And I've been doing some, you know, <laughs> I'm a beekeeper. <laughs> One of my many skills. And if beekeeping means I call Vadim and he gets the honey, I'm a beekeeper. So where were we? Um, 
So I reach in there and I, I get a thing of honey and I give it and I go, it's organic, it's sage honey, it's really rare, it's local, it helps with allergies. They're just thrilled and, and they're just talking about it. She, I said, you know what, I'm going to give you another one. These are kind of pricey and I'm generous. So I, I give her another one. I'm there you go. And she's, oh, thank you so much. And I, you're welcome. God bless you. And I'm thinking, Lord, you're doing a wonder here. I, I never wanted to be here, but obviously we're making an impact in the community. The next day I show up at the house, the landlord comes up and says, they're a Hindu family and they say, Pastor Rob, um, I, I don't know how to tell you this. I know we agreed to allow the bees to come, but we got a letter from the neighbors across the street. That was them uh, saying that, you know, it's not allowed in the HOA. And I'm like, Gestapo, Zikail, you know, and it was a little, no, it's upsetting. And, uh, and, and didn't call me, called the landlord and we couldn't bring the bees. And I just said, oh, don't worry about it. Suresh, we'll, we'll find another place for it. We sent them out to the Santa Rosa Valley, uh, to the Snow's house. And they're happy, lots of space to fly. Um, and we still... I still take care of it. Vadim goes over and gets a honey. Uh, and I'm thinking, is this where we've moved? What an irritating place. I can't wait to get out of here. Can I get an amen, please? I was so frustrated. And, and I kept hearing this sermon somebody gave. People are not the enemy. They're the opportunity. <laughs> And the Lord softened my heart and began to pray. And then, as you guys know, the Wilkes came out, looked at properties, and I would have never known about the YMCA up there. Notice it was there, heard that it was going up for sale. Another church had fallen out of escrow. We went up there on a whim. That ended up being the place. I would have never known it, would have never seen it, had it not been in that place. And I'm, I, we, we moved forward. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you want to make an impact? I'm praying. I, I want a heart for this community. Then when the newspaper comes out and they do the city council meeting, public comments, you get three minutes, over 20 people showed up to just be upset about the fact that we're moving to the Dos Vientos area. And I had to sit there. The city councilman during public comments can't respond. You just have to sit there and take it. Three minutes, three minutes, three minutes. Over an hour, just... And one of them was the neighbors. You know, they're really sweet. And they, and they said, you know, you're a nice neighbor, but... Which is a disassociative conjunctive. And then they told me what they really felt. And then... I sat through that and, and I'm sitting there and it's, 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 I'm, I'm battling. People are not the enemy, they're the opportunity. And my heart settles. I'm okay, Lord. And so everything's fine. Well, now we've got to get out of this house. We're looking and I, I'm all of a sudden, the only house remotely affordable for us shows up and they never become available. 1,600 square foot house. We put an offer in, boom. Michelle wrote a letter. The lady's heart was touched. When we went in the last day to, to uh, say goodbye and do the walkthrough, the lady was there. She was crying. There was just such a move of God's spirit. You could sense the Lord. It was precious. It's so eight-tenths of a mile from the new building. And we were touched. And, and the series of events, miraculous, that we got into the place to begin with. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you got this. I'm going over to look at the building. It's working. And then all of a sudden, I get this phone call this week, late, late. Uh, from one of our missionaries. It's like two, just late at night calls and uh, we need to come back. We have a family emergency and it is a critical family emergency. And then our other missionary that runs uh, God Speak Uganda, Fred Kimbangaya, finally got his visa and he says, well, I'm coming on the 25th. I'm like, huh, thanks for letting me know. And uh, so he's coming and then this missionary's coming and it's all critical and a bunch of other stuff is happening, heavy stuff. And as I'm looking at this and people are in the hospital and all kinds of things are going on, uh, in the midst of it, I'm, I'm, we have this move that we have to do. And then I get a call from the city attorney and the city attorney says, um, a handful of 
residents in Dos Vientos are suing the city and also suing the Heavenly Father Foundation. They're trying to stifle you from getting in there. I just had to stop, take a breath. People are the opportunity, not the enemy. Lord, calm and quiet my heart, please. I began to pray through it. And then the move started. We're pushing in, getting everything in the house, and it's a whirlwind, and we've got so many things happening. And last night, as we're both exhausted, looking at each other, we just started to reflect at 28 years of marriage, 18 years of pastor of the church. Every issue, every trial, and at 53, I, I can look back. The miracle, especially in this course of event, ran into a friend I haven't talked to in years, reestablishing a relationship, watching as God's moving, seeing this all come together. We just looked at each other and we thought, God is so faithful. We never wanted to live here. Now we're, we just, for the first time, we know we're home. We know God's going to do an amazing work. We know the trials are there. But the warp and the woof of the fabric of our lives, cotton, is, is right there before us. And the tapestry that God's assembled, I all of a sudden realized, Lord, I see you. I see you. And you are good. And, and one of my favorites is, is Psalm 23. You know, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The one thing I'm good at is screwing up. And, and, and I go, Lord, Lord, I, I don't think I can go there because of what I've done. In the, and as I look back there to remind the Lord of what I've done, goodness and mercy have swept up. They're going, what's the problem? Right? It's all clean. What's the problem? And I, I just think, Lord, you even used our failures all together for good. Give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. All things work together for good with those who love God, called according to That's at 53. Some of you right now, you are under the pile. You're not in this perspective where I have had this vision. You, you, don't, you don't think there's a way out. I can guarantee you Aaron over here with his family, when they got that diagnosis, that, that, that was daunting. When Claudia got that diagnosis, daunting. But I have news for you. When I read their accounts, they're giving glory to God every step of the way. And when you get to 53, and I'm on the back half, and I'm picking up speed, I can tell you this much. He's faithful. And where you are right now, hang in there. It's going to work together for good. It always does. And you're going to look back as you're sitting on a couch at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning after an exhausting move on your anniversary and you just look and you say, hadn't this been a fun ride? Isn't this awesome, babe? And there's a joy in your heart because God is good. I share that with you because as we take a look at Isaiah, you're going to be touched. And I know we've read this passage, but we're going to really put it to heart today. Isaiah chapter 6. Please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. Verse 1, chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs and oven mitts from the altar. 
Nobody caught that. (laughs) And he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And God, as we examine this picture of the vision that you gave to Isaiah that forever changed his life, Lord, I pray that today ours would be changed as well. We commit this entire time to you, Holy Spirit. Lead us into all truth as you promise in your word. And we ask this all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Refresher real quick. King Uzziah served for 52 years. I showed you the timeline. I'm not going to revisit it. For 52 years, he served as the king of Israel or Judah, and and he was a good king. Uh, Economically, militarily, um, uh, religiously, he he set it up so the temple operated properly. He did a great job up until the last portion of his reign where he got a little bit heady and he got kind of into himself and his ego took over and he offered fire at the altar, which the, the civil authority can't do, only the priest can. God strikes him with leprosy. His son was a co regent with him until he passed, he died. For the most part, 52 years, it was an amazing run, great king. Everyone flourished. Isaiah was a young kid at the very tail end of Uzziah's reign. So Isaiah uh, starts in the the entire vision of the book of Isaiah is all detailed in chapter six, where this vision started from. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And so as he points this out, uh, his calling starts in chapter six, and then we'll pick up in one through five what the vision is, and we'll go through the other portions of the scripture and take a look at the entirety of the vision. And it's that one, it's this book of scripture that's quoted more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. Jesus quotes from Isaiah multiple times, and, and it's, it's fascinating. And the pictures of, of Christ the Messiah, the messianic uh, scriptures from the Old Testament are inundated in the book of Isaiah. So many of them, especially when we get to Isaiah 53, a phenomenal book. But this is the beginning of that calling. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on, listen, sitting on, pay attention, sitting on a throne. Now, doesn't seem like a significant statement, but it all begins with this. All of us look with our eyes. We look at the physical. That's called vision. Or let me just, let me correct that. That's called sight. That's called sight. You're looking. You have problems, just like we do. You had a week probably worse than ours, no doubt. And, and you got phone call after phone call, and you got this, and you got that, and we heard, I got another congregant that had two heart attacks and in the hospital, and I mean, this is, this is life, right? And you get, you get it thrown at you. And some of you, like I said, are under the pile right now, and it's hard to breathe. Your chest is tight. And you, you can't see anything but what's in front of you in this daunting misery in front of you, and it's overwhelming. And that this, is, this is Isaiah's life. Everything he's known, all the success of, of the world he's lived in is coming to a close. Everything's going to change. And, and this, this is, this is, they're picking up speed going downhill. The entire nation is about to implode. Sound familiar? AB 2943, we heard about it the, the previous week. This, this is unprecedented in the history of our nation. California, where this is a free fall in so many regards. And we're, we're watching this just pick up speed. 
And, and we're wondering, where's it going to go? How's it going to, what's going to happen? And it's, it's, it's frightening in some respects. Well, this is Isaiah's life. And, and in this moment, all of a sudden, the king that was holding it together is gone. And, and don't be mistaken, our salvation isn't coming on Air Force One. Okay, three people agree? It, here's the point. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He didn't say the throne. He said a throne. You see, the sight that Isaiah had was an empty throne that once belonged to Uzziah. And it's empty. But I saw the Lord seated on a throne. Not this one, that one. You see, he had sight. And all of a sudden, God takes his eyes off of the baubles and the trinkets and the earthly things and puts it where the real authority lies, and that's God. Kings are going to come and go, but God remains forever. He, he, this, he never sleeps or slumbers. There's no shadow in his turning. A sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without his full knowledge. He's in complete control. His son is at his right hand, ever living to make intercession for you and me. This is a Godhead that is so remarkable that if you could see this Godhead, you would rest in the trials that you're facing. But with Isaiah, he saw an empty throne and then God turns his sight to a throne that is occupied and will always be occupied and it's always the seat of authority in all the world's affairs. And at that moment, he saw the Lord seated on a throne. He didn't even see his face, but it was high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. His robe filled the temple. There wasn't even a face-to-face connection. He just sees this throne, and it is so magnificent, it's overwhelming. And then it says, above it stood seraphim. And by the way, the translation for seraphim in the Hebrew is this this one that's, uh, uh, it's it's like a fiery creature. It's this idea of, of an unapproachable light. The burning one is what a seraphim is. And he sees this creature, that was cherubim and seraphim. Cherubim have four wings, they've got four faces, and the, the seraphim have one face, six wings. There won't be an exam. <laughs> but in this picture, these are, these are intense creatures. And, and they are completely holy, they're there to do the bidding of the Lord. And the seraphim each had six wings, so two they cover their face because they can't look upon, even though they're holy without sin, they can't even look upon God. They fly with their faces covered. This is the magnificence and the authority that rests in this, this throne that is being spoken of. This throne is magnificent and it's majestic and it's holy. And so they cover their face with two of the wings. With two, they cover their feet because wherever they land, the reality is this is, this is hallowed ground. Even the Lord said this to Moses, take your shoes off for the ground on which you stand is hallowed ground. And they get this. And then with the other two wings, they're flying. And they cry to one another, holy, 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 Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth. The posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. So as the angels spoke, the rafters begin to shake. This, this is, if, if, this, if you're looking at an empty throne of an earthly king and then your eyes take gaze of this, you're paralyzed. You haven't seen anything like this. And all I can tell you, listen, I'm not Isaiah. I didn't have an Isaiah vision, but I can tell you last night late at 28 years of marriage, 18 years as a pastor of the church, Michelle and I had a clear vision of God's faithful hand. And all of a sudden it's like, I see it. You are a good God. I don't know how you did this. 
Lord, I have no idea how you pulled this one off. You took a bunch of pottery shards and you've made a mosaic that is so unbelievably beautiful. Now, that's that, granted, I'm not seeing seraphim flying. But I'll tell you what. In those moments, and I experienced it this morning when I got up early. In those moments when you see the majesty of God and you see his handiwork. I didn't see the temple filled with the glory of his robe. I just saw his handiwork in my life. I was blessed. God, you're so much different than me. It's this idea, holy, holy, holy. It's, it's like my mom used to do, Rob, Rob, Rob! <laughs> Actually, it ended with Robert. Robert, boy, welcome, McCoy. That's, that's, that's why they repeat it three times. That's why moms do it. My dad was different. He was very patriotic. He'd lay down stripes. I'd see stars. <laughs> but, but in this place, holy, 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 they're emphasizing it. They're, 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 there's no doubt about it. And at this moment, as the doors, uh, the posts of the doors are shaken by the voice of these angels crying out, at this moment, Isaiah goes from sight to insight. And I'll give you an example. When I realized God's faithful hand and Michelle and I were undone and just overwhelmed by how good God is. I mean, I I was really just so deeply touched by how he takes everything and makes this tapestry. I I got up this morning, I couldn't sleep, 4.30 in the morning, I got up and I just just thought to myself, Lord, you you know, the only thing I've brought to this equation of this tapestry that you've revealed to us uh, Lord, I'm grateful. Don't get me wrong. But the only thing I've contributed to this is all the failure. Lord, you didn't get a bargain in me. You put me behind this wooden stand because you take the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. And I know everybody else struggles in life, and, but the one thing I beat you all in is, is I, I got you beat in sin. And then some of you are going, well, I don't want a pastor. It's like, well, then go to another church. Trust me, he, he's the same as me. He just may not be saying it. Yeah, the, the pulpit's higher so you can hear me and see me, but it really should be this way. You know, I, I should be preaching up. A remarkable congregation of people. Sweet and faithful. We had more people working, helping. I was so thankful. One after another, blessing us, blessing us. And I just thought, Lord... I don't know how you did this in 18 years. I listened to sermons I used to give 18 years ago. I don't know why anyone stayed. Some of you have been doing it a long time. That's like punishment. I think of the mistakes and all those things, and yet every mistake he still used together for good. And one after the other. And I just, I, I, was, I, I had insight at that moment. I, I went from my sight to insight, and the insight was this. Lord, the only thing I've brought to this entire tapestry is my failure. And somehow you've managed to make it beautiful fabric. You are remarkable. He is such a good God. And I went went from sight to insight. And listen, don't think too highly of yourself than you ought to. God didn't get a bargain in you. 
One of the greatest pieces of advice I can give to a young minister in, in, in a profession that has a 70% attrition rate. It's hard to be a minister. Huge attrition rate. I was talking to Mark McKinney. He wants to plant a church here. I sat down with him. I said, I want to tell you the best advice I can give you. He says, what's that? I said, let them know who you really are. They're, 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 they're not going to hate you. You don't have to pretend to be somebody you're not. It is so freeing. Once you get a congregation that says, we are happy to have a loser as a pastor. <laughs> you go places. You, you never, you, you, it, it's because they go, you're just like us. No, I'm worse. Hey, we're in it. I'll be first loser. That's a winner, right? And I told Mark, I said, Mark, don't try to be something you're not. They, they, they don't need somebody who appears to be something they aren't. God's in the business of reducing us to a minimum that he might pour in his maximum. Take credit for what you get credit for, and that is failure. And then God gets the rest, and then he blesses. Because where God is honored, he blesses. And, and at this point, I just told him, I said, that's how you avoid burnout. I, I was talking to Pastor Joe. Dallas, he was saying, there's a church on every corner. Here, it's like, we're looking for churches. I'm begging people to come. I, I want them to plant churches. There's 132,000 people in Thousand Oaks. If, if, everybody, if every church in Thousand Oaks were filled three services full, they, we, we wouldn't have room for another 115,000 people. We, well, there's plenty of room. We need more, more churches. They've got a church on every corner. And, and so everyone's trying to compete with each other and you, you're trying to be something you aren't. And the thing I love about Joe and Nancy is what you see is what you get. They're legit. And they love to laugh at themselves and they see it. That's refreshing. That's how you survive in ministry. So you go from sight to insight. And the insight is, listen, folks, it's okay. It's okay. You're just like me. You're really good at one thing, and that's sinning. It's the only thing that comes natural to us. We're really good at it. And then when you see it, just give it to him. And say, God, would you take it from here? And when you give him your life and you give him all the broken pottery shards and you just give him honesty, and when we're honest with God, he's merciful with us, we just give him all of that and he takes and makes beauty out of ashes. And you go from, from sight to insight, seeing who you are. And then all of a sudden, if you notice what happens here, watch. Oh, here's, here's the crazy thing. In this insight, and you realize your sin, and, and you know, Lord, I'm not proud of my past. I hate to revisit it, but my past and my present and my future all belong to you. If you want me to revisit it, that's yours. If you want it as a sermon illustration and bore the people again, that's fine. And if I got to drag it back up and we got to look at it again and, you know, see the carcass, that's fine. But this is the one thing I want to tell you that's so special that when you go from sight to insight and you see your sin, you're like, you're like Isaiah, woe is me. Woe is me. You, you, you go from this, this woe to this low. And, and you realize, God, help me. And what I love about it is this seraphim, this burning one, right? This fiery creature goes to the altar with tongs. The thing's on fire. Can you imagine how hot the coal is that the creature on fire needs tongs? 
and oven mitts. And, you know, I imagine this is like one of those shields, the, the wings come, shing, shing. you know, it's just fireproof. And then the, the feet, shing, and has to walk with the ones it's supposed to fly with. So it's like, and it comes over and Isaiah's like, I, I just, I really just, ah, and just burns. And, and what happens is it's a detoning. It's cleansing. It's being purged. I, I remember bringing all my trash to the Lord and just laying it out there. All this has separated me from you. If you want it, you can have it. I'll give it to you. And if your word is true that you're going to give me eternal life in exchange for that, I'm slow, but I'm not that slow. That's a deal. And how's this transaction work? Well, you have to be purged of your sin. Is it painful? No, my son took all the pain. He was beaten, he was bruised, he was scourged, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was spit upon. He was nailed to a cross. He took care of it. No hot coal on your lips, Rob. Just my arms of forgiveness. Do you want it? Yeah. Yeah. You bet. And this purging, this hot coal, I want you to know something. The sight and the insight, the sight comes where you see all your problems and then God takes your, your, your eyes off of the world and puts it on him and then you realize this throne is magnificent, majestic, it is unapproachable. God, I don't know if you know who you're getting here. I'm not sure you're realizing in, in, in the economy of your kingdom, I am a gnat on the butt of an elephant. And you see this throne, and here's what is so special about the passage. God never shows you the throne without showing you the altar. I'll explain. The throne is magnificent. That is our creator. He is holy, holy, holy. He is unapproachable. He is magnificent. The creatures that fly around him get it. You get that. They speak. The room shakes. Okay, you're unapproachable. What do I do? Here's the altar. The altar means slaughter place. This is where your sin is purged. For Isaiah, it was a hot coal on the lips. For us, it was the the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world to take away our sins. But something has to die if we're to be forgiven and God allowed his son to take your place and mine. He'll never show you the throne without showing you the altar. And that altar's special because When Isaiah sees this and that coal comes and it touches his mouth. Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is purged. I don't know about you, but that was a huge burden God lifted off my shoulders. It's a joy to be able to stand up here, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. I can have a terrible week. I can fail a thousand times. I step up in front of you. I'm as cleansed as a freshly fallen snow. The Lord has forgiven my sins, past, present, and future. I'm a new creature in Christ, forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. 
He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. East and west never touch. North and south do, but east and west never do. And when I came to that understanding of the mercy and the grace of God, do you know how freeing that is? He's forgiven me. I can forgive others. I can restore relationships. I can serve people that aren't the enemy. They're the opportunity. Because while I was a sinner, he died for me. He loved me. There's nobody on this earth that can humiliate me and anger me enough to hate him. I'm going to love him. And if that means going to Dos Fientos with the Gestapo HOA, I'm in. (laughs) And the picture of this is that when it happens and you have that sight going into insight, then God gives you this vision. Vision. The vision is precious. Your whole world changes. And then when that vision goes out, I love what God says. After Isaiah is given this vision and the iniquity is taken away and the sin is purged, all of a sudden Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord and the voice of the Lord says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The Godhead. He didn't say, Grant, I just purged your sins. Get off your lazy butt and go out there and witness. That wouldn't be Father God. That'd be the Godfather. (laughs) Right? No, no, no. He's Father. He's Papa. He's Abba. He says, okay. Everybody see the new vision. Who wants to go? Isaiah's like, I'm here. I'll go. What are we doing, Dad? You know, at 53, 28 years of marriage, 18 years senior pastor, I got to tell you right now, this has been an enormously exciting ride. And whatever he wants to do from that vision last night, and by, by God, it was not an Isaiah vision, but it was all I needed. I don't care what is ahead of me. As long as he wants me to do it, I'm in. Now, that being said, I want to close with a couple of thoughts. The Lord never leaves us discouraged or defeated. That's why he gives us the altar with the throne. Now, we have to hate our sin and be saddened by it, but he cleanses us and then we move on. The throne is there and we see who we are and we get that clear insight. But then he gives us vision when he cleanses us of that sin. So he never gives us the throne without the altar. So we're never discouraged or defeated. We're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And until we truly see ourselves, oh, let me, let me, let me correct that. You will never truly see yourself until you've seen him. You're fooling yourself to think that you know who you are apart from God because you've been created in his image. And you're stuck with sight instead of insight. And the Lord wants to show himself to you so you can know who you really are and then you can have the fullness of life. But this is the part that I love. And I'm gonna share this with you. It's out of Job. Job's one of those guys that he had a a run-in with the Lord. You see, God had, uh, oh, here we go, perfect. God Actually, Job is the oldest book of the Bible. It actually predates Genesis. And the reason why God gave us Job first is if you can understand this concept, 
this, this vision, this, in, or excuse me, this sight, insight, and vision, you're not going to have a problem with going wherever God sends you. Job was the wealthiest man, the most upright man. The devil came along and said, he only serves you because you give him stuff. Take it away, he'll curse you. He didn't. He says, take away his health, he'll curse you. He didn't. In, in a moment's notice, his family's dead, his livestock's all dead, his servants are all gone, he's lost everything. Then his body's riddled in boils and he's scraping himself with a pottery shard sitting in the town dump. And the only thing God lets live is, is a wife that he kind of wish he had taken. <laughs> I wouldn't have been married 28 years had I been married to that woman. Not that woman, that woman's hot. This one is <laughs> awful. And, and as he's sitting there and he's lamenting and he say, Yea, Job says, Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. And he's going over this. He finally has had enough. Job's comforters have messed with his life. They're, they're, and, and Job is just, God, I don't get you. Like you guys, me, you're under the pile. Why are they calling? Why, why are they suing? Why? why? And you just, I got questions for you. And you just start list them off. I, when I get to heaven, I'm just going to list these questions. I'm just going to tell him. <laughs> Job gets a chance to do it, and he just starts rattling off. Wrong thing to do. The Lord comes and opens up a can of Jesus. He can't get the lid on. And it begins like this. As soon as Job starts asking God all these questions, God goes, all right, let me show you what a throne looks like, boy. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this who darkens my counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man and I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstones when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and the thick darkness its swaddling band, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther, and here your proud waves must stop. And moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer. Go ahead. What do you have to say to the God who holds the heavens in the span of his hand when you and I are a gnat on the butt of an elephant? What do you have to say? Obviously, you know how to run the universe. Speak, Job. Job's response to God. Behold, I am vile. Insight. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Have you ever been in a place where you've been completely wrong and you've, you all of a sudden realize it? You're like, I am so sorry. I got it all. Once I've, once I've spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. And the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Go ahead, Job. Job's like, God, I, I don't know what to say. Right? But check this out. Job answered the Lord and said, ah, 
I know you can do everything. You're God. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes see you. My sight, insight, and now vision. Therefore, I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. God, you call the shots. I'm good with it. Now, that seems heavy. And some folks just can't seem to see a God like that. But that's the reality of the first book of the Bible. First book written. I'm going to leave you with two stories and we'll get you on your way. There's a book that's written and I really enjoyed it. It's a very neat friendship in the history of our nation between a preacher and a politician. It was George Whitfield and Ben Franklin. And uh, George Whitfield was the preacher of the Great Awakening with the Wesley brothers. He came from England. He had gotten saved at Oxnard. Uh, Oxnard. <laughs> And he was the very first convert from the city that didn't exist back in <laughs> 1730. He was actually born 1714, I believe. And, and he, he went to college at Oxford. He was studying to be in, uh, in the ministry. And it was there that he came to Christ because the church, like we're going to see in Isaiah 1 through 5, they were going through motions, but it was completely dead. And on the eastern seaboard in the new colonies in America... Churches were dying, seminaries were emptying, the the entire nation was in disarray, alcoholism was on the rise, and all of a sudden this move happens. And and the stuffy upper church doesn't want these preachers talking about being born again and having a relationship with God because they had been given a vision. These three three folks had been given a vision, the Wesley brothers, George Whitfield, and it started this great awakening where they had seen God and they were fearless. And so Whitfield came to the United States and he preached, uh, I think it was 80,000 sermons and it, and it estimated to over 4 million people. And Ben Franklin came in Philadelphia to hear him preach and he estimated, Franklin did, and he was a brilliant mind, he calculated and surmised that there were 30,000 people at this open air presentation of the gospel and you could hear Whitfield's voice in a crowd of 30,000 without amplification. And they wouldn't allow Whitfield in any of the churches. So Ben Franklin, out of his own pocketbook, went and realized he was preaching outdoors. So Ben Franklin went and purchased a building for him to preach in. And Ben Franklin was so moved by Whitfield. This is what he said. He said, I didn't go because I believed Whitfield. I went because Whitfield believed Whitfield. Ben Franklin through deductive reasoning, would surmise as he watched Whitfield, this is a man who has seen a vision. It's not what he's saying, it's how he's saying it. There's something different, there's an unction, there's a calling upon his life like there was on Isaiah's. Franklin said about George Whitfield, wonderful change was soon made in the manner of our inhabitants from being thoughtless or indifferent about religion. It seemed as if all the world were growing religious so that one could not walk through the town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different families of every street. He saw the power, the transformative power of the gospel changing the colonies. And it was Whitfield and others that led the nation to the revolution that men would be set free. It had a profound effect. As a matter of fact, 
Ben Franklin deliberately, when he'd go hear Whitfield preach, he would take the money out of his pocket and leave it at his house because he knew Whitfield had an orphanage and he'd make a call for donations to the orphanage and he didn't want to give money. And he'd get there and he'd hear Whitfield preach and be so moved he'd borrow money from people to give it to Whitfield (laughs) and then pay it back. He was so touched by his life. Do you see how that transforms culture? Ben Franklin is the only one of our founders that had his signature on the four major documents, Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, the Paris Agreement, and the Northwest Ordinance. Instrumental in changing our culture, Whitfield did it because he'd had a vision. You can read about how he was converted. He was, he was unstoppable. This guy, Nicky Cruz. He's a member of the Mau Mau Gang in New York City. Young preacher by the name of David Wilkerson comes and leads him to the Lord, crossing the switchblade. You've probably heard about it. Nicky Cruz, he, he had a tough childhood. By the age of 16, he was a member of the Mau Mau's, a violent street gang in Brooklyn. Six months later, he became the leader of the gang, one of the most feared men in the streets of New York. His life was filled with drugs, alcohol, extreme violence. He was arrested many times. And a psychiatrist said that Nicky was heading for prison, the electric chair in hell. He was an awful human being. David Wilkerson steps right in as a preacher in the center of New York. And as he approached Nicky Cruz, he said, Nicky Cruz said, you come near me and I will kill you. And David Wilkerson said, yeah, you could do that. You could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street and every piece will still love you. Nicky Cruz said this. He said, we had heard the gospel before. It wasn't what Wilkerson said, it was how he said it. He believed it. He had a vision. He had an unction, a calling. He'd had sight, insight, and now he had vision. It changed and made all the difference. This insight, God doesn't want you to look at someone else's sins or the sins of the nation. Last week when I showed you the video about the dragon queen, the lizard, one of the things that hurt was that some people laughed. And and I, I get it. Some were uncomfortable. My heart was broken. There's folks in the church that suffer with that. And it's easy to laugh at their sin. God's not interested in you seeing their sin or the nation's sin. He wants you to see your sin. Sight, insight, then vision. You see, revival's like judgment day. God takes a hold of our life, and when he owns us, he sends us. I'll leave you with this. I love this verse. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Okay, if you're paralyzed by your sight and you're just overwhelmed by the condition of California or the nation, or we can go on and on about the divorce rate or about you know, gun violence or about whatever, you know, if, if your sight has paralyzed you, you're not ready. Because you think your sight, you've got to figure out a solution and somehow keep the plate spinning. If you just stop for a minute and get your eyes off the earthly empty throne 
onto the heavenly throne. God will reveal to you your issues. He'll give you insight. He'll break you. You'll quit whining and complaining like Job. You'll be broken. And you'll say, God, thank you for forgiving me. I don't know how you did it. And you've taken this whole series of events to humble me and and humility before honor. And Lord, I have to confess to you, if you want to go further with me, the only thing I'm bringing to the equation is my failure. So if you still want to sign up with me, I'm, I'm good. He's amazing that way. And when he touches you and you've gone from sight to insight, now you have vision, you say, God, I want to stand in that gap. I want to save this nation. I want to save this land. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. You go from sight to insight. And when you have that fresh vision of the Lord, you'll stand before Nikki Cruz or Ben Franklin or the Dos Vientos HOA. (laughs) But you'll get it done because you're unstoppable. When you let God be God and you see his throne, the ride is not easy, but it is, it's a lot of fun. Even the lousy times are awesome. And so, get ready for a trip with Isaiah because it's not just us reading about what someone did it's about us getting ready to ride so may the Lord bless you and give you a fresh vision sight, insight, vision